Well, as I said, we're starting a new sermon series. We're going to be studying uh, this summer uh, the book of 1 Peter. This series will take us all the way to fall kickoff time around the beginning of September. And uh, in the fall, we're looking at studying the Gospel of John. I'm very excited about both of these books and the sermon series that uh, we'll have the opportunity to preach through. First Peter is uh, it's a fantastic book, and I think it's a great place for us to go coming out of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes being Old Testament wisdom literature, there are a lot of bridges that needed built to get to sort of application for us as, as New Testament Christians. First Peter, on the other hand, is a book written specifically to New Testament Christians. And so the applications are going to be right there in broad daylight. Uh, it's very practical, and it is, I think you'll find it to be a great book. As I have the last couple of weeks, I'll encourage you to read through First Peter. It's just five chapters. doesn't take too long to read through. And so uh, take those opportunities whenever you can to just read through, read through the whole book in one sitting if you can, or read a chapter a day, whatever you want to do. But stay in the book of First Peter. I always think that that makes listening to sermons much more fruitful in your own life personally. So would encourage you to do that. The series is titled Strangers on the Earth, and that's also the title of this introductory sermon. Strangers on the Earth, I hope that'll make sense by the end of this message today. I have two purposes today. This being an introductory sermon, I want to first of all introduce you to Peter. I want you to know as much as we can biblically uh, about the man who wrote this letter that bears his name, and that's what it is. It's a letter. So I want to introduce you to Peter. And I also want to introduce you to this letter and what you should expect from this letter and give you uh, at least a broad idea of where we're heading and what this series is going to look like. To do that, I'm going to read just the first two verses of, uh, of 1 Peter today. I have lots of other texts. There's actually a very text-heavy uh, sermon today. I'm going to read lots of passages from different places in the New Testament to you. Um, but from 1 Peter, we're just going to look at the first two verses. Please join me as I read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to the sprinkle, to be sprinkled, and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Two short verses, but there's a lot in there. But as I said, I have two purposes today. I want you to get to know Peter, and I want you to get to know this letter a little bit. So I just have three points. The first one is this. Peter was called out of an ordinary life to do extraordinary things for Jesus. You probably know a little bit about Peter. He identifies himself here as Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, very similar to how Paul identifies himself at the beginning of his letters. Um, but I want to make sure you at least know the major stories of Peter's life that we find in the New Testament. Of course, at Easter time, I actually did a sermon on a specific part of Peter's life, and that was all around uh, the crucifixion of Jesus and Peter's response, and then Jesus's response to Peter after his resurrection. And so I'll allude to that today. We won't go into great detail about that because of just a few short weeks ago having preached that. But there are some other parts uh, of Jesus's calling and his ministry that I think will be informative as we look at this letter that he wrote. 
wrote. And so we'll start in Luke chapter 5, which is Peter's calling into ministry. It's, it's, the, it's the moment when Jesus calls Peter to follow him and to be one of his disciples, which would later lead to him being an apostle. In Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, it says, as the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, of course, this is very early in Jesus's ministry. He was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon. Simon is another name for Peter. And asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so, so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. So we know Simon, uh, Simon Peter is a fisherman, and he was fishing. Uh, at the time, Jesus was be beginning his earthly ministry. He was one of the first men that Jesus calls to follow him. He was, by all accounts, an ordinary man living an ordinary life, but he was called out of that ordinary life to do extraordinary things for Jesus. That calling began with Jesus revealing his power to Peter through this miraculous catch. They had fished these waters all night and caught nothing. There were no fish to be caught. And Jesus commands them to lower their nets again, and reluctantly they do so, and they bring in a catch so huge that their boats are beginning to sink. Jesus or Peter immediately identifies this is not an ordinary man like himself. He falls on his knees. He begs Jesus to go away from him, proclaiming that he is a sinful man. This is consistent throughout the Bible. When people come face to face with the glory of the Lord, they immediately realize that they are too sinful to be in his presence. That was Peter's experience. Go away from me because I am a sinful man, Lord. But the, interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't go away. He says, no, you come with me. Follow me. From now on, you catch people. So this is, this is Peter's introduction into following Jesus. He begins, uh, he begins to follow Jesus from that time on, along with some of the other fishermen that were with him. Those were also part of the 12. These were the ones who would become the apostles who were with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry to the end of his ministry, all the way up through his resurrection and eventually his ascension into heaven. It's these men that Jesus commissioned to take the message of the gospel into all the world. Throughout that ministry, there are a couple of, throughout that time of ministry with Jesus, throughout Jesus's ministry, there are a couple of other key events. One of them we find in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20, when Peter uh, gives a very important response to a question that Jesus asked. 
It, said when, it says in verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, these are these men who he's called, called to follow him. Who do people say that the son of man is? And you got to realize Jesus is going, he's, he's doing miraculous things like the catching of the fish, but even more so he's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's, he's doing things that are getting everybody talking. And he says, who, what are people saying? Who do they say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others, Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say to you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. So this concept of Messiah is a very important thing uh, in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Jesus coming in fulfillment of the prophecies about the Messiah is a very important theme throughout the message of the Gospels. In fact, that in a future sermon in First Peter in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about how Jesus fulfilled some of these Old Testament prophecies. Uh, the Messiah was meant to be the Savior, the one who was coming to save Israel. And uh, of course, at that time and, and still today, Jews are always wandering, wondering about and looking for the Messiah. Jews who do not accept Jesus as the Messiah still today look for someone to come in fulfillment of all of these promises from God in the Old Testament. Peter is identifying here that Jesus is that Messiah, that he is the son of God, the son of the living God, he says. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. We don't know exactly when Simon became convinced that this was the Messiah, the son of the living God. But at this point in Jesus's ministry, there's no doubt remaining. And he finally gets it out. He finally says it. He finally is able to, to, to get those words out. Now, now, if you read the rest of the story, he quickly kind of screws up, puts his foot in his mouth, and Jesus has to rebuke him. Um, but here is this moment when he makes this. This is the first expression of Jesus being the Messiah among the disciples. This is the first time they're putting words to it. He is the living, living the son of the living God, that he has been sent to be their savior. A very important text, a very important part in Jesus's ministry, and especially as it pertains to the message of the gospel. But this is a passage that also raises a lot of questions, questions that don't have easy answers. In fact, this is the main text that Roman Catholicism points to, to say that Peter was the first pope and that from him comes all of the other popes. I think there are some significant problems with that. First of all, there's an issue with when Jesus says upon this rock. You see, Peter uh, in Greek is very similar to the word that Jesus would use for rock here. And so there's sort of a play on words and it's, and it's not abundantly clear what is the rock. Is it Peter himself? Is it Peter's confession? It's, there's just a lot of questions that are unanswered. 
And then he, he goes on to say, I'll give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth. In reality, it's just not abundantly clear here in this passage or throughout the rest of scripture what exactly that means. And furthermore, there's, there's, there's certainly no indication here that Jesus expected Peter to be the first of many popes. Peter himself never seemed to realize that he was the first of many popes. In fact, uh, in what little writing we have from him in Scripture, First and Second Peter, he identifies himself as an apostle, just like the other apostles. He does not set himself out uh, among the other apostles. There's no mention here in this passage or anywhere else of that, of that passing on from generation to generation, this idea of a succession of popes. And so even though Roman Catholicism uh, maintains that this is the beginning of, of the papacy, that at this moment that Jesus is instituting something that's going to go on until his return, uh, there's really not a lot of biblical evidence of that, neither from Jesus nor from Peter or from anywhere else in the Bible. So I think it's important to understand that. Obviously, that's an evangelical and Protestant position, not a, a Catholic position. But it's important to address that, I think, when we come to this important part of Jesus and Peter's relationship and Peter's ministry as an apostle. After this text, uh, it's important to be reminded of Peter's fall. Peter goes, um, he follows Jesus to his arrest. And just as Jesus predicted, and this was the sermon that I preached uh, at Easter time, just as Jesus predicted, uh, Peter would deny him three times. And uh, we're going to look at that when we get uh, back into the book of John, but that's a long way off. Um, but it's very interesting. I was studying that particular passage recently. And it's very interesting that as Jesus is on trial and he's being asked if the things that are being said about him are true. And uh, in the presence of Peter, he basically says, I don't know. I've been saying these things publicly. Why don't you ask the people who have been with me who have witnessed all of these things? And of course, Peter is the one who should have stood up and been a witness to the things that Jesus had said and done. And instead, he denies his Lord. He denies his Savior. Three times he denies him. It's it's a very difficult scene to watch unfold, uh, but it leads to one of the most beautiful scenes in all of the Gospels when Jesus comes to Peter after the resurrection, restores him into ministry, and he commissions him to go and to feed Jesus' sheep. Three times Peter denied him. Three times Jesus says, go and feed my sheep. And so Peter's not a perfect guy. He is an ordinary man. Just like all of the other men and women that God uses throughout the Bible, there's only one that's not ordinary. There's only one that's not sinful, and that's Jesus himself. And so this is, this is Peter. Peter, uh, after he's restored by Jesus, and the disciples are kind of... Um, waiting for the fulfillment of, of Jesus's promise to send the Holy Spirit sort of, again, rises to the top as he does several times throughout the gospel. He, he rises to the front of the pack to, to be the leader. And there's a significant event that happens in Acts chapter two. This is after Jesus has ascended into heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon the people at Pentecost, which we are also remembering right now, uh, when, when the Holy Spirit comes on people at Pentecost, they begin to speak in other tongues, other languages, and people who were gathered in Jerusalem from all, all over that area who spoke different languages heard the gospel message being proclaimed in their own language. 
this led to a lot of questions. People were saying, what's going on? Are these guys drunk? What's happening? It's, it's so early in the morning. What are they doing drinking already? Uh, because of the scene that was being created. And Peter stands up. In Acts chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them. So he has an audience, an audience of Jews. This is after Jesus' death, his resurrection, his ascension, and now people, miraculous things are beginning to happen. And he addresses this audience. He says, fellow Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you and pay attention to my words. And then he goes on to defend. They're not drunk. They've just been filled with the Holy Spirit. And, uh, but he launches into this sermon. It's the, it's the first gospel sermon given by the apostles after receiving the Holy Spirit. And he just unpacks for them how Jesus is the Messiah. And unfortunately, you turned him, you Jews, turned him over to ungodly people to have him killed. His message has a great impact on the crowd. If we skip the whole way down to verses 37 to 41, it says, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children, for all who are far off as many as the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. What an awesome move of God, that God sends his spirit, and people hear the gospel proclaimed, that Peter has the opportunity to stand up in front of this huge crowd. We know that 3,000 people were saved, so we don't know how big the crowd is, but thousands of people hearing Peter proclaim the gospel of message. This same guy who was always putting his foot in his mouth when it, when it came to his interactions throughout the gospels. This same guy who denied Jesus, who failed him in, in the most important moment of Jesus's earthly ministry. The same guy who Jesus would later come to and, and basically say, I forgive you. Now go do the ministry that I've called you to do. An ordinary, imperfect, and sinful man that God used to do extraordinary things. This is the beginning of the first century church. 3,000 people in one day. And we'll go on to say later that every day people were being added to their numbers as people put their faith and trust in Jesus and were saved. And Peter becomes the leader of the early church in Jerusalem. And the book of Acts follows that for the first few chapters before switching to tell us about Paul's missionary work uh, throughout the surrounding region. We know that Peter, uh, we know from history, uh, we believe from history, I, wish, I should say, uh, that Peter died in Rome. Uh, Peter was later taken to Rome uh, and um, where he would be um, martyred for preaching the gospel, martyred for being a Christian. It's believed that he wrote this letter and Second Peter from Rome, which he refers to in the book of First Peter as Babylon, uh, which is a, we'll have time to talk about that. It's an important biblical um, city. Uh, but we believe he died in Rome according to church history, probably around 64 AD. So this is somewhere around 30 years after uh, Jesus's death and resurrection. So he had about a 30 year ministry after Jesus's ascension. 
Uh, these are the two books we have, First and Second Peter. These were letters that he wrote to the church. And so this is Peter. Uh, it's, history tells us that when it came time for him to die, he was going to be crucified. Um, long story short, there was a Rome in, uh, there was a fire in Rome, and Nero blamed the fire on the Christians and basically used it as an excuse to round up a bunch of Christians and kill them. Uh, we believe that Peter was one of those that was killed by Nero under that persecution that broke out in Rome. And when it came time for him to be crucified, he actually asked that he would be crucified upside down, uh, considering himself unworthy to die the same death as his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what a life, what an amazing way to live. Uh, he was very familiar with what it felt like to fail and to let down Jesus. Uh, but he was also very familiar with what it, what it felt like to live for Jesus and to do extraordinary things in his name, and to see God do miraculous and, and remarkable things throughout his life, and eventually even to suffer and to die for his Lord and Savior. So that's Peter. I wanted you to know as much as we can about him. Uh, there's, a, there's a few things in Scripture that I didn't go over, but I thought those were the highlights, the main things that we needed to know. So he's in Rome. Uh, likely, uh, he, he's likely being imprisoned shortly before his death. We think these letters are written somewhere around 63 AD if he died in 64 AD, very close to the time that Paul was in prison in Rome and wrote many of his letters. Um, there's a lot of historical evidence for that from the early church fathers. And so here's a letter that he wrote at the very end of his life, not knowing it was the very end of his life, most likely, um, but he wrote to strengthen the church, to feed the sheep as Jesus had commissioned him to do. And so two points on the letter of first Peter. First one is this first Peter is a letter written to the strangers on the earth known as Christians. One of my goals for this sermon is to introduce to you what I mean by this, this series title, Strangers on the Earth. Uh, this comes from the book of 1 Peter itself. I'm going to read verse 1 again. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So everything we've done so far is just unpacking and identifying who is Peter, this apostle of Jesus Christ. To the chosen living as exiles. And he says, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. By the way, those locations uh, are basically uh, in the area between Israel and Rome. It's, it's an area at that time that was known as Asia Minor. It's more or less the, the country of modern-day Turkey. So when you see Asia here, don't think the continent of Asia. Think about this basically modern-day Turkey, this area in between the Promised Land and Rome. He, he addresses them as... Chosen, living as exiles. Okay, this word exiles here is, is, is a Greek word that appears three times in the New Testament. Once right here, once later on in this letter, and once in Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at all three of those, okay? The word itself uh, has, has a, 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 say a complex meaning, not a complex meaning. It's difficult to translate into any one English word, and especially because the English words that we would typically use to translate it sort of mean different things to different people. They're not easy words to use in English. Here he, in the CSB, it's translated as exiles. Exiles gives you the idea of somebody who was taken from their land and forced to live somewhere else, right? Somebody who was kicked off their land. It's not my favorite translation. Other, other translations use 
those temporarily residing abroad. Now that's four words, but I think it gives you a better idea of what it means. Those temporarily residing abroad. Some translations choose aliens, those who are in a foreign place, not living in their home, in their homeland. Strangers in some translations, which it'll later be translated, that same word um, in the CSB is translated strangers in chapter two, which I'll show you in a second. And then, of course, here we have exos. So those different words, I think, give you a, a little bit of an insight into the meaning. It's this idea that these are people who are not living in their homeland. They don't, they don't, it's not that they don't belong, but it's that they're, they're separate. They're set apart. They're set out from. They're not the people that you would expect to find there. Temporarily residing abroad, aliens, strangers, exiles. The same word Peter uses in chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, when he says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers in exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God in the day he visits. I think 1 Peter chapter 2, 11 and 12 are two of the most uh, important and key verses in this book of First Peter. Might be great verses to memorize as we go throughout this series because I think it really captures the heart of this letter. He's, ur- he's writing to urge his friends who are strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul, to conduct yourselves honorably so that other people would see and glorify God. So here's my definition for strangers. This isn't on the handout, but it might be, it might be worth writing down if you have a pen and paper in front of you, because it, I hope that it'll help you understand uh, where we're, the meaning of this book and where we're heading in this series. Strangers are the people of God who have been granted citizenship in a far better country, but now live temporarily in this world, seeking to obey and glorify God. I'll say it again. The people of God who have been granted citizenship in a far better country, but now live temporarily in this world, seeking to obey and glorify God. They are the strangers on the earth. Now, strangers maybe mean something different to you, but in the context of this book, that's what I mean when I say that we are strangers on the earth. We've been granted citizenship in a far better country. Earth is not our home. We are not primarily citizens of any earthly kingdom. We are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of God, which is an eternal kingdom, which is ruled now and forever by Jesus Christ, the Lord. That's where our true citizenship lies. However, we now live temporarily in this world. We live here as strangers on the earth. And so while we are here, our goal, our mission is to obey and glorify God. And that's what 1 Peter is going to tell us. uh, 1 Peter addresses us as exiles, as sojourners, as aliens, as strangers, as people who are passing through a land that really isn't their own. I mean, sure, it seems like it's as much ours as anybody else's, but we're just strangers here on the earth. We're citizens of a greater kingdom, and we're passing through. As we pass through, it's our mission to obey and glorify God. And First Peter's going to tell us how. He's going to tell us how we do that, and he's going to give much instruction for those who identify themselves as strangers on the earth. I told you it happens three times. We've looked at two, both of those in First Peter. Now let's look at Hebrews 
chapter 11, verses 13 through 16. Hebrews chapter 11 is heaven's hall of fame, it's been called. It, it, and the author of Hebrews goes um, through all of these Old Testament characters who lived faithfully seeking to obey and glorify God. And then he says this of them in verses 13 through 16. These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents. That's that same Greek word that we're looking at in first Peter, temporary residents on the earth. Now, what, what does it say about strangers on the earth? Now, those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But now they desire a better place, a heavenly one. Listen to this. I got so excited when I read this last line of this passage. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I'm so excited to talk about what it means to be strangers on earth because the Bible promises that those who live their lives as strangers on this earth, seeking to obey and glorify God, that God is not ashamed to be called their God and that he has prepared a city for them. And so this introductory sermon is an invitation. It's an invitation that all of us who are followers of Christ and those of us who are not yet followers of Christ hopefully will join us and that we will view our, our lives through the lens of eternity, that we will view our eyes through the lens of this, the kingdom that Jesus has made us citizens of, that we will live on this earth as strangers here, seeking to obey and glorify him. I love what Philippians 3, 20, 21 says. I didn't have this in the slides, but I want to read it. It says, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He would transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Paul is saying in Philippians, we are citizens in heaven, not of earth. And that one day Jesus is going to use the power that he has, the power with which he up, upholds and sustains the universe, the power with which he conquered sin and death. He's going to use that power to transform you and I into his likeness. So here we live as strangers on this earth, temporary residents seeking to obey and glorify God. And so this letter, this is the last point I want to make. I want to get through this one quickly because I've already taken up enough time. This letter is a call to grace-based daily discipleship. I put that in there because that's the language that we use at Redemption uh, for this idea of living as followers of Jesus or this idea of being strangers on the earth, that we are called to daily follow Jesus. That's what discipleship means, to be followers of him, to act as he acts, to think as he thinks, to, to speak as he speaks, to be like him. Um, we have four core values. We are Bible-centered. We're gospel-driven. We value grace-based daily discipleship and multiplication. Those are our four values. This is the third of our four values. We say it this way, grace-based daily discipleship. This is right from our statement of core values. The Christian faith is not merely a set of beliefs to be affirmed as true. It is a new life and a call to follow Jesus daily. 
To be Christian means to be seeking to grow in three areas, walking with God, loving each other, and seeking the lost. In all of these areas, we strive for what we call imperfect progress, relying on the grace and mercy of God each step of the way. The letter of 1 Peter is going to call us to this type of grace-based daily discipleship. It's a letter that calls us to obey. It's a, it's a le- in fact, that's one of the emphasis in the book is obedience. And I'll talk about that in just a second. Well, actually, let me get there now. Let me go back to uh, our passage one and two. He, he, he identifies himself as Peter, an apostle of Christ. And he says, to those chosen living as exiles dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Being sprinkled in the blood, in being sprinkled in blood in the Old Testament, uh, anytime there's somebody being sprinkled with blood, there's one of three things that's happening. Okay? Uh, the first one is this happens during covenant initiation. In the Old Testament, and actually in Exodus chapter 24, you can read this in the first few verses, when the people of Israel uh, who have been rescued from slavery in Egypt are entering into a new covenant with God, there are sacrifices that are made and then Moses takes the blood from those sacrifices and he actually sprinkles it on the people as a sign of them entering into a covenant with God. Now, covenants have uh, basically two parts. There's the part, uh, in this instance, there's God's role in fulfilling this and upholding this covenant. And then there's the role of the people in upholding this covenant. And so the sprinkling of the blood symbolizes that they are committing themselves to obedience to this covenant. And so being sprinkled in blood in the Old Testament, one of the ways that that, that is used or one of the things that, that signifies, it is a commitment on our behalf of obedience to a covenant. And I think that's a strong emphasis in this book. I think that's the easiest of these three things for me to see uh, in this, in this uh, passage right here in verse two. Another one is priestly ordination. That's another time when people in the Old Testament would be sprinkled in blood is during priestly ordination. Well, interestingly enough, Peter in this letter actually refers to the church as, uh, as all being priests. He says, you are a royal priesthood. He commissions all of them to be priests. So perhaps that's in view here. And then the third way is in purification from leprosy. Wayne Grudem in his commentary on this passage actually draws a link where he expands the use of being sprinkled in blood for purification from leprosy to a purification of all uncleanness. And he shows that throughout the Old Testament and basically comes to the conclusion that that we're saying that this is saying here in verse two, that this is also meant to imply a sprinkling of blood for the sake of purification from all the things that defile us and make us unclean. But those are the three ways that we see the Old Testament use sprinkling of blood when it refers to on people. I think the first is the easiest to uh, connect to. I think it's clear here that when Peter says that you are chosen to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ, that he's saying that if you're a stranger on the earth, if you're a Christian, if you've received the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on your behalf, then you have a part to play too. 
What Jesus did for you is what makes it possible. But now what he's going to outline for us in the letter of 1 Peter is that we are called to be obedient to that covenant. Jesus said before he went to the cross, he, he lifted up um, the glass and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. And when he institutes that new covenant, there's the part that he's going to do and there's the part that we are called to do. The part that he's going to do has been done. He went, he died on the cross and he rose again. He conquered sin and death. He has granted us the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Now, how do we respond? We respond with obedience. And that's what First Peter is going to walk us through. So in conclusion, just like he did with Peter, Jesus calls us out of an ordinary life to do extraordinary things for him. He did that with Peter. He's done that with millions, perhaps billions of people who have answered the call to follow him since. And he wants to do that with you. He's calling us out of ordinary lives to live as strangers, to view this life through the lens of the eternal kingdom that he has made us citizens in. He has called us to do extraordinary things for him. And so I want to ask you, have you accepted that call? First and foremost, have you received Jesus Christ to be your savior? Have you received what he did on the cross for you? The fact that he died for your sins so that you can be forgiven by God and have eternal life in him. Have you received him? Are you living as a stranger on the earth? If you haven't, I implore you to do it today. I invite you to do it today to receive Jesus Christ. If you have, then the Bible calls you to live this way, the way that 1 Peter is going to tell us, to live as exiles, as sojourners, as strangers on the earth, and to live lives that view ourselves not as citizens of any earthly kingdom, but citizens of an eternal kingdom, the kingdom that is led by King Jesus, and to live our lives to seek to obey and glorify God. That's what we're called to. That's what First Peter is going to invite us to and lay out for us how we do it. So I hope you will join us. Let's pray. Jesus, it's amazing that you call people like Peter. And you call people like me and you call people like us to represent you, to follow you, to know you, to enjoy you, to benefit from your life. It's amazing that you call us out of the most ordinary thing possible, the life that we could live here on earth and call us into extraordinary living. You call us, you call us to be part of an eternal kingdom. You call us to be strangers here on earth, to seek to obey and glorify you. God, as we study your word over these next uh, couple of months, as we look at 1 Peter together, I pray that you would speak to us and that you would point out areas in our lives where you're calling us to obedience, point out areas in our lives where you just want us to receive your grace and your mercy, point out areas in our lives where you want us to glorify you in this world that we live in. But most of all, I pray that you would convince each and every one of our hearts that we don't live as part of an earthly kingdom that we live as part of your eternal kingdom and that everything that we do here on this earth as we live here as strangers on the earth should be done in view of that great reality. Thank you for what you've done to save us and for calling us to join you in building your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for tuning in today. 
Uh, let's continue to worship uh, together, and we hope to see you back next week.